you to uh, be a part of Community Bible Church. Uh, I've been a part of Community Bible Church since 1975. I don't ask you how many of you were not yet born then. Yeah, yeah, thanks for that. I was 15. Um, and then uh, some years later, I became the youth pastor. And after doing that for 16 years, I decided to go to seminary. So I graduated from Dallas Seminary in 2006, I want to say. And came back to Community Bible Church after that and worked in various roles after that. And then in 2013, uh, well, the guy who was the pastor of International Bible Church in Bonaire had asked me. We had a relationship with them. We had a relationship with him that went back to like 1980. Uh, but he had been in Bonaire for a few years at that time. And uh, he had asked me if we could help find somebody to take his place because he was going to want to retire. He had some health issues also. I think he was even a little bit afraid that he might not live much longer at that time. Anyway, so I said, sure, we can do that. And uh, then that's all I did. That's all that happened. I said, sure, we can do that. We didn't do anything. And then uh, meanwhile, we're sending teams, and I went down there to preach for him from time to time. And Ryan went down there to preach for him way back closer to my mouth. I don't know. Anyway, I'll try to keep my hands off it. And so uh, eventually, though, it became evident that we needed to kind of get on that job. So I got on that job, and I was talking to people about whether they would want to go to Bonaire to be the pastor of this tiny little church. And one time when I was talking to someone about that, someone also from CBC who was coming out of seminary or something at the time, and uh I was talking to him and explaining to him the whole this whole situation in in Bonaire and all the church and all that. And suddenly in the middle of that conversation it dawned on me that I was the guy explaining that. And he didn't need to have it explained to me, though now I know I should have had a lot more stuff explained to me. But <coughs> Once that idea occurred to me, I, I, you know, I wasn't really that interested. I was very happy where I was, uh, but uh, it sort of became clear I was the guy for the job. So when I mentioned it to uh, the pastor at that time and the elders at that time, they said, yeah, that makes perfect sense to us. So now I'm there. I've been there since 2013. I was a little worried about moving to this little tiny town in the middle of nowhere, 50 miles from Venezuela. Uh, turns out it really just doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> in fact, there's so many nice things about living in Bonaire. I better not tell you or you'll all be moving down there. Well, actually, that wouldn't bother me either. Uh, 
But it is always a pleasure to be with folks uh, from folks I don't recognize and from folks I've been seeing for their whole lives. And uh, yeah, it's always just a pleasure to be here. I'm, I'm very excited. Sorry, I'm, I'm not texting while preaching. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what I do. I, I set a, I have a, a, a stopwatch in my phone. Maybe you have one. I have a stopwatch in my phone. It's like a miracle. And so when I start preaching, I hit the start button. That way I know how long I've been talking at any given moment. It is not a countdown. I tried that, actually. I tried that. The countdown doesn't work. The countdown doesn't work. Knowing how long I've been talking seems to work a little better. You'll notice that I haven't said anything about how long I intend to talk. Yes, I appreciate that. You might regret it. I'm, I can't tell you how thrilled I was to uh, have the concept of teaching from the book of Ephesians uh, to be proposed as the topic for this event. It is, can you say it's your favorite book in the Bible? Is that okay? It is, it is my favorite book in the Bible, I think. Though currently I'm preaching through the book of Hebrews, which is my other favorite book in the Bible. Uh, you might find me accidentally preaching from Hebrews during this conversation as well, so... Uh, but uh, the book of Ephesians is the New Testament theology of the church. That is what it's in there for. There are other books in the New Testament, other letters written by Paul to pastors, I guess we'd call them now, that certainly address questions like how do you run a church that refuses to be run uh, or what's what is actually a pastor supposed to do those letters do there are books in the New Testament oh and first Corinthians you know tells you gives you some information about uh, how to be the church based on the existence of a church that was none of those things. So, you know, what you should be doing in the communion service instead of having a, a drunken party. Uh, or, you know, maybe you should tone it back a little on your show-offing of the spiritual gifts. That kind of stuff. Those, those are church issues. In fact, one thing you should observe about the New Testament. Okay, the Bible is that it is addressed to the church. It is the church's book. Now, us Protestants, we had a big old fight with the church at one time, and so we have a hard time 
recognizing that, well, that there's such a thing as the church, for one, but also that the Bible is the church's book, not yours and mine. And one of the things that has happened in religion, especially in the United States, is some sort of crazy uh, free market entrepreneurial thing that where this is kind of a mean way of saying it, any idiot could interpret the Holy Scriptures for a bunch of other idiots and form a whole nother thing that is not even the church. Uh, so, wow, man, I got distracted by that. But the book of Ephesians is the, the book in the New Testament where what is presented in this letter is the theology of the church. It is the New Testament ecclesiology. Now, I'm ragging on this pretty hard because this is, well, because we're 21st century Americans and we are individualists. We can't help it even when it's not what we really what's really best for us we are individualists and one of the things i hope to accomplish in our time together is for us to let go of that a little at least and to notice that what we're doing being a church is the thing that to be a Christian is to be a member of the body of Christ. And that it is actually the body of Christ that is the thing Christ is building. We are means to that end. Uh, not the other way around. Now, I know most of us have probably read, well, maybe this isn't true anymore. There was a time when I could have said most of us have probably read a little booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws. And in the back of that booklet, which is used to share the gospel with someone, it's a script for sharing the gospel. And, okay, I guess we need a script. But anyway, it's really a sales pitch for Jesus. But in any case... At the back of that book, assuming someone has prayed the prayer, come to Christ, put their faith in Christ as their Savior, there's a list of things that is, there's a list, page in the back of that book that says, now that you're a Christian, you want to grow in your relationship to Jesus Christ. And there's a list of four or five things that will help you to grow as a Christian. One of the things on that list is to belong to a good Bible-teaching church. No one is going to argue about that. That if you go, if you belong to a good Bible-preaching church, teaching church, 
that will help you grow as a Christian. But what the book of Ephesians says is, what really matters is the other way around. The church isn't there to help you grow as a Christian. You're there to help the church grow as a Christian. That's where we're going. Now, uh, I have a, I gave you a little handout here, and it has an outline I'm supposed to follow. Oh, and now I'm hitting the button that I'm starting. <laughs> <laughs> that was all just me introducing myself. Anyway, the, uh, here's where we're going this weekend. We have five lessons uh, in which we're going to learn the whole book of Ephesians. Now, here's my, uh, so here's my note pack on the, on the whole book of Ephesians. So we're going to cover all this. And, uh, but we're going to do it in five pages that look like this. So, uh, we're going to, we're going to talk about five, uh, theological chapters in the book of Ephesians. And they go roughly in this order, though they don't match with the chapter divisions. The first thing we're going to talk about is the fullness. And in that, we're going to review the blessings that have unfolded to us out of the eternal plan of God. That's chapter one, mostly. The blessings that have unfolded to us, the body of Christ, out of the eternal plan of God. And then uh, the second session tomorrow morning, we're going to talk about the making. We're going to learn how the Lord Jesus Christ created the new man by the blood of his cross. The new man in the book of Ephesians, there's one new man, and the new man is the body of Christ, the church. The third session tomorrow, I don't know, is this after lunch? Yeah. We'll see the source of the strength we need to grasp the love of God in Christ. Source of the strength we need. This is... uh, We're going to do an exposition of the second half of chapter 3, where Paul prays for us, for the body. Uh, In the fourth session, we're going to learn the biology of the body of Christ. How the parts of the body function together to produce growth. How the parts of the body, that's you and me individually, function together to produce the growth. Again, what we're going to notice is the thing that we're growing is the us, not the me and the you. Well, you're not growing, but but you get the idea. And then the last lesson, Sunday morning, the new life. So this is, (laughs) this is a, I don't know, this is a big long thing. Uh, Because we're going to talk about all, the whole part of the book of Ephesians in one message that covers the the, uh, implication part. The part that comes after therefore in chapter 4. And now some of that's included in the previous bit, but we're going to talk about therefore what. I urge you, Paul says at the beginning of this section. I urge you therefore. So now he's going to tell you what to do because of what he's told you is the truth. So if this is true, this is how you should act. 
and we're going to cover all that. And what we're talking about when we talk about that is how our unity in the body plays out in our individual life roles. How our being the church plays out in our individual lives. So this is a section of Ephesians where he talks to, to husbands about how to love their wives, to wives to submit to their husbands, that all those things. There's a lot. <clears throat> so, let's talk about the fullness. Well, if you have a Bible, maybe you should look at the book of Ephesians in chapter 1. A long time ago, many years ago, Right after I became a youth pastor, I decided to get some training about how to be a youth pastor. And uh, so I went to a youth pastor conference. And one of the things I heard at that youth pastor conference was, hey, you know what's a really good practice? Read the first chapter of Ephesians on a regular basis. I think you'll see why. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ Jesus. Sorry, just barely through this. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then, of course, he goes on to elaborate what those blessings are. He has blessed us completely. Every blessing. If there is a spiritual blessing, you've been blessed by it. You have it. You possess it. Or maybe we should say we possess it. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Nothing left out. I'm starting to see why they call this good news. How? He blessed us in heaven, in Christ. Here, the literal language of this verse, I put it in the handout. The one who blessed us in every in every spiritual blessing. It's interesting because in, in the original it doesn't say he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. It says in. He's blessed us in every spiritual blessing in heaven in Christ. <laughs> um, so there's something about the blessing of Christ in our blessings. And in heaven in Christ, now this makes me automatically think of Hebrews, where Christ is presented as seated at the right hand of the majesty. Oh, he's presented that way in Ephesians too. At the right hand of the Father in heaven, where he ever lives to make intercession for you and me. So that I am invited to draw near to God in the heavenly places, I can bring the most idiotic, stupid, trivial thing to God 
and he welcomes hearing from me. He uh, embraces me. He indulges my ignorance uh, and blesses me by providing for me whatever it is I actually need according to his own wisdom and providence and good guidance and grace and does so in Christ. So there's nothing missing. Now, I say that and I automatically am concerned because I know we feel as though there are missing things. I know I'm missing some things. I know not everything is as I think it ought to be. I don't agree with God. He says you have every spiritual blessing there's no thing you need that I have not provided. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Every good and perfect gift is from above. My God shall supply all your, all your needs according to your good behavior. No, according to the wealth of his glorious grace. According to his riches in glory. How rich is God in glory? Well, I don't know, but rich. And, well, that's a, that can throw me a little. I, I want to have a little bit of an argument with God. Well, we know how that will turn out. But the I don't always experience this, but it is always true. You have been blessed. So what are these blessings? Well, he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He predestined us. Uh, well, we can read. He predestined us to adopt for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved that is in Christ. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. This is not a stingy God. This isn't a God who's saying, well, I don't know about you. What do you got? No, he has blessed us. In these ways, he's given us the revelation of the mystery of his grace in Christ. He's given us the, an inheritance and made us an inheritance to his eternal son, the Lord Jesus. This is all in chapter 1. I'm hurrying. He gave us the guarantee of that inheritance. So God gave you an inheritance. And then he gave you a guarantee as though his word were not enough. He gave a guarantee. What's the guarantee? Do you know? In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, this is verse 
12, I think, or 13. 13? I can barely see these numbers. It's getting old. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The, the Spirit of God has been poured out in each of us and among us the guarantee of our inheritance in Christ. Now, on what basis did the Lord bless us in this ridiculous manner? Well, you can read about it in verse 5, in verse 9, in verse 11, where he says, according to the purpose of his will, which he set forth, that is, announced, in Christ. The purpose of his will, which he's proposed, announced, set forth in Christ. So there's some eternal triunity covenant going on where he, he vests this in the sun, this, this purpose of his will. <laughs> it's crazy. It, it goes in, in verse 9, I think it is, the purpose of him who works all things. Yeah, this must be verse 11. The purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Or in verse 7, according to the riches of his grace. This is the basis from which he blessed us. His own purpose. And if we notice all of this, before he even began to create. Now the thing I want to notice is there's nothing about us in the basis of this blessing. It is indeed a blessing, all blessing. It, it is not in return. It is not a reward. It was determined before creation, vested in the Son, and delivered in his own life to the world, to us, those who trust ourselves to him. Guaranteed by the sending of the Holy Spirit. I start to see what those Calvinists are talking about when they talk about irresistible grace. You are not going to thwart the purpose of Almighty God determined in eternity past, agreed upon among the persons of the Trinity, delivered in, on the cross. It has no basis in us at all. Now the next question we want to ask is, toward what end has he done these things? Why? That's a really good question to ask. Why did God do anything? God is the three persons, everlasting 
eternally joyful community of persons in one being. There's, there's nothing he needs or misses. Yet, he creates, he blesses. Well, what was the goal here? Well, we could read in verse 6. We could read where this ends up, and it sounds like this, to the praise of his glorious grace. He blesses us to the praise of his glorious grace. Glorious grace. Grace. Uh, In verse 12, it says, so that we might be to the praise of his glory. We are to the praise of his glory. And then in verse 14, oh wait, it just says the same thing, to the praise of his glory. Then in verse 10, it says something else. To unite all things in Christ. Now, here, All things is not just all of us believers. It's all things. All things in heaven and on earth are united in Christ. Uh, It's it's like what Colossians talks about in Colossians chapter 1 where all things, he reconciles all things to himself in Christ. Things in heaven, things on earth, things above, below, beside, under, whatever. All things are reconciled to God in Christ. All things become united in Christ. The healing of creation is accomplished in the deliverance of God's church by the work of Christ. So that Paul writes to the Romans, all creation groans for the day when this is finally completely realized. Wow. So, again, we're barely mentioned here. We are to the praise of his glory. All of these things, all of this blessing of us is to the praise of his glory. We in the church often think about why we need to grow the church because people need to be saved. Well, that certainly is true. People need to be saved. That is one way we grow the church. And yeah, us independent people, us people operating apart from Christ are doomed. And Christ can deliver a person. They really need it. They need it. But God doesn't save us so that we will be saved. He saves us to be the praise of his glory especially the glory of his grace. In chapter 2, we're going to read to put the the greatness of the kindness. I've got to read it because I'm messing it up. Uh, 
so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ. It is for the glory of God. Uh, John Piper wrote a really good book on missions in where he, which he uh, discusses the purpose of missions. We think the purpose of missions is to get people saved. And he points to this and he says, the purpose of missions is God needs, not needs, God is worthy of worship. God is to be praised. God is to be glorified. And people are not glorifying God in their independence, in their rejection of God, in their idolatries. Missions correct that by getting people saved, which they really need. So, God has blessed us on the basis of his own determination and in order to glorify himself by saving us. And then Paul comes to a prayer in chapter 1. For this reason, he says, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Oh, that's a lot of words. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Notice now that that is the inheritance of Christ, not us. And that we are the inheritance. Anyway, uh, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. And this next phrase just blows my mind. The church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The fullness of him. So this prayer is aimed, it's that you would be enabled to comprehend the blessing of God in Christ. That's what he's saying. That you, uh, how did he put it? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of 
What is the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? That you will somehow grasp the greatness of this blessing. That uh, you will understand the hope of his calling. That you'll understand the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. (laughs) We are the inheritance of Christ. The joy of this inheritance got him through the garden, through the cross, through the resurrection, to the joy set before him. He endured. What was that joy? The body of Christ redeemed. The gloriousness, the glory of his grace. The the glorification of the Father in the Son in the church. And then he says this other thing he wants us to grasp is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. What power was that? The power that was at work when Christ was raised from the dead and seated at God's right hand. That power is the power for us. When he put all things under Christ's feet and when he gave Christ as head of the church. I want us to notice he gave Christ as head to the church. When we typically read anything in the Bible, we read it as it applies to me or maybe to you if I need to correct you in some way that I want. And I, we apply it very individualistically. I think Christ was given to me. Well, Christ certainly was given to me. He certainly is my Lord. But he was given as head to the church. His body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That is a phrase to describe the church. What? I mean, this scripture says the church is the fullness of Christ. (laughs) I'm, I'm looking around at this group. I just confess to you, this is hard to wrap your mind around. The church is the fullness of Christ. Now, this chapter is the introduction to the book of Ephesians in which that is going to be explained, thank goodness, because that is really hard to buy. The church is the fullness of Christ. 
we're in the church. We, we know the church. And we know the church can bite. And I mean that in every conceivable method. We all have had experience of the church biting. Of absolutely failing in the representation of Christ to us, to the world. This is hard to grasp. But what we're trying to see here in this session is the blessing of God that unfolds from the purpose of God. Jesus himself said, I will build my church and nothing can stop me. This is where the trouble is. The fullness of him. This is how we are, what we are called to even now. The fullness of him experienced in the fellowship of the saints. And <laughs> Ephesians is going to elaborate on that. Beginning with how does he even start this project? How do you gather a bunch of sinners, a bunch of people who aren't even the least bit interested in God according to Scripture? No one seeks Him. How do we how do we get some of those people together? How do we even get them together? They don't even like each other. They're fighting among themselves. How do we get them together? How do we get them to be the representation of God himself in the world? Well, going to have to be some pretty serious power exercise. The sort of power that raised Jesus from the dead, seated him at the right hand, and <laughs> put all things under his feet, and especially giving him as head to the church. Uh, so, we are called into this. Now, one thing I would like to observe is none of us did anything. We believed. We believed. Those of us who believed these things are applied to. And we did that. And the book of Ephesians is going to straighten us out on how much we did that before. We believed. And it turns out, believing isn't much of a thing. Believing is just saying, okay, yeah, yes, thank you. I'm sure you've all seen the YouTube video of, uh, who was it, Alistair Begg, the man in the middle cross. That's believing. Well, he said I could come. There's no earning 
one of the things we're going to notice in quite a bit of the book of Ephesians is we're only involved as the recipients of God's blessing. We're otherwise absent from the story. Christ does these things for us. Because he does. And this is the beginning, the very beginning of the book of Ephesians. This is the book, read chapter one of Ephesians as often as you can, because it's like, oh, wow. <laughs> he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We're going to read in chapter two. He raised us in Christ. He seated us at the right hand in Christ already. Same power that worked in Christ to put him where he is was working in us at the same time. It's, it's inestimably good news. I think uh, in our representation of Christ is the thing to remember it's good news. It's good news. If what we're announcing sounds like a burden, we're not getting it right. There's no burden for you in this text. None. <laughs> Unless you can't stand the weight of blessing. So, well, tomorrow we're going to talk about in the next session, we're going to talk about the making. It is amazing some of the stuff we find out in chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians. Amazing. I'm going to stop myself from talking about it now. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you just seems a little hollow to say thank you, Lord, to, to only have thank you to say, and yet that's our position, Father. You have blessed us. You decided to bless us. You purposed in Christ to bless us. You created us in Christ. Lord, uh, help us to grasp these things. We agree with the prayer of Paul that we find in this letter, that we might somehow get a hold of the greatness of your blessing in our lives. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.